with topics ranging from how cloud computing is streamlining government operations to exploring the intersection of machine learning and healthcare data. Foley and Larder's Innovative Technology Insights podcast examines not just the legal ramifications of developments at the cutting edge of technology, but how they are affecting businesses, governments, and individuals. In each episode, we will lead discussions between researchers, industry leaders, and regulators for their thoughts on this changing world. So without further ado, let's get started. Good morning or afternoon, everyone, depending on where you are in the world. My name is Natasha Allen, and today I have the pleasure of meeting with Michelle Miller. So Michelle is the co-founder and CEO and president of HD3, and HD3 is the High Desert Discovery District. And it's a startup accelerator in New Mexico. The purpose of the accelerator is to commercialize and bring to market high-value science and technology discoveries and innovation. So Michelle has over 25 years of experience in commercializing scientific discoveries, innovation and technology, product development, regulatory management, and fill team creation management. Michelle, super excited to talk to you today. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you today? Wonderful. Wonderful. So to start off, can you tell us a bit about your journey as an entrepreneur executive and who is innate immunity? Sure. So I'm Michelle, and I started New Mexico's first startup accelerator that we call HD3 in 2010. And the reason I started it was that New Mexico didn't have an accelerator. We had a lot of other organizations that were working to try to take off the bench, so to speak, innovative assets that could be the basis for startup activity but had had really little to no success in that. And there's many, many reasons, complex reasons why that was. But at the time, there were various accelerators getting started, prominent ones throughout the US, Y Combinator and Techstars and others. And so I began studying that and realized that that might be a solution or at least a partial solution to New Mexico's problem of being able to create wealth-producing startups from the core innovation hubs that we have here in New Mexico. So we did that. I did it in collaboration with the Department of Energy and Los Alamos National Laboratory, the state of New Mexico, and a handful of investors. And we launched it in 2010. And through the next 10 years or so, succeeded in vetting maybe a thousand plus discoveries, ideas, concepts, young companies, even already started startups to see if we could bring the network that we had created, which has now grown into about 1,500 global advisors, investors, folks that have done it entrepreneurs, innovators who could bring their expertise, their connections, their experiences, their failures, as well as their successes, and all of that knowledge to the New Mexico innovator and see if we couldn't do better at startup formation that actually resulted in successful startups, not just forming them, but actually driving them to market. So that's what we did. We had a cohort of about I don't know, 25 companies over that period of time. And we have been growing them, moving them along the commercialization pathway towards a few exits that are pending and on the way in the future. 
Innate Immunity in particular was the last cohort startup that we included in that. And it started out as a biotechnology company focused on plant disease, crop disease, particularly crop disease impacting U.S. citrus and also grape disease, apple disease, and others that we've since included. But this particular last company, I act as the CEO of that one. And we have been trying to commercialize a therapeutic peptide that shows very broad clearance activity in a wide variety of different plants. And we have also since discovered its applicability in animal and human health, as well as potentially industrial health. So this is an exciting one. We're still in the thick of it, but the plant was the original application that we focused on. Great. You have some good insights. So let me get back to New Mexico, your stronghold in that region. So what are some of the technologies that you've seen that have been commercialized by startups? Are there unique technologies that are coming out of New Mexico? There are. As probably everybody knows, New Mexico was the home of the Manhattan Project. And as a result of that, Los Alamos National Laboratory became an epicenter of innovation over the you know years. And it's got a sister, somewhat sister, it's its own independent lab called Sandia Labs in Albuquerque. And those are two federally funded Department of Energy, National Security Administration, federal laboratories that produce a lot of innovation from not just energy or what you might think of deriving from the uh, wartime era, but really material sciences, cyber infrastructure technology, biotechnology, of course, more and more into AI and engineering feats. Sandia is an engineering lab for the most part. And so whereas Los Alamos is very early stage technology, Sandia takes that and moves it into the engineering phase. So there's a lot of innovation in New Mexico. Quick stats, it's per capita the largest federal percentage of PhDs in the country the largest federal percentage of R&D spent in each state in New Mexico. And yet we're always at the bottom of the list in the poverty scales. And that was the intellectual pursuit I was looking at when I started HD3 is why do we have all this innovation and wealth assets and innovation, but we're still poor. And so that was, that was the reason for HD3 originally from an intellectual pursuit. Did you ever get to the bottom of why does that disconnect? <laughs> oh, if we had hours and hours and we could, right? it's of course a very, you know, and all these kinds of things, it's a very complicated thing. Part of it is culture. Part of it is just the geographical expanse of New Mexico. It, it's a very big state. I think it's the sixth largest landmass state, yet there's a very small population. It's just a a mix of things. Because we have such a low population, it's hard for firms to scale and grow here because you have to recruit a lot of people, right? And they aren't just walking around. So that's part of it. But it is complicated, even though it's a beautiful, beautiful state and there's a lot of beauty and a lot of great pieces to New Mexico. There are definite challenges that prevent that from just becoming another Silicon Valley, as people tell me. It's just more complicated than that. And then just to, I know I'm skipping all over the place, but really interested in innate immunity and their innovation. I'd love for you to highlight on the issues dealing with citrus. Like I, mm -hmm. I don't think 
anyone or most people I didn't recognize how pervasive it was. Yeah, there was a cover I have in my pitch decks from Scientific American. I think it was in 2014. And the cover was The End of Orange Juice. And it's a very stunning cover because, like you say, so many people don't understand the peril that the really it's the global citrus industry is facing. There is a, a bacterial disease, a gram-negative disease called Wan Long Bing or citrus greening. It's a gram-negative that is spread in the citrus groves by a psyllid, which is a little bug, and it takes this causative agent around from tree to tree. Every single citrus tree in Florida is infected by it today, and it is spreading across the country. It's in Texas, and it has popped up in California, but they have been so far successful at eradicating it. They pull them out, you know, whenever it's discovered in someone's backyard in their orange tree or something, they yank them out. But it's a devastating disease, and it has no cure to date. And it is also present around the world in the citrus growing regions from Brazil to China to Mexico. Everywhere they grow citrus, HLB is present. And there's been hundreds of millions, if not a billion or so dollars put into R&D to solve this because everybody wants their orange juice, right? (laughs) And their oranges, right? But so far, it has eluded us, and there's a lot of complicated scientific reasons for that. It's a very complex disease to solve. But our peptide therapeutic, which we call 28P, is active against this bacteria, and we know it kills it. And we have run field trials with prominent industrial partners to try to solve the disease, and we're working at it, is what I can say. In terms of people's orange juice, the reason why most don't understand that it's a threat is that the orange juice industry, a production state in Florida, has been able to maneuver and work it through pricing adjustments. So HLB doesn't necessarily completely eradicate the juice of the orange, But it makes the whole outside very mottled and ugly and deformed. And so you can still juice that kind of a fruit and make it work to some degree. And that's what the citrus industry has done for juice. You cannot do that with fresh fruit, right? People buy pretty fresh fruit. They don't buy ugly fresh fruit. Mm -hmm. And so that is the threat that is posed by not having a solution to this as it marches along the U.S., towards California, which is a fresh fruit state. So we're still working it, uh, is what I can tell you and your audience. It's a complicated disease. We hope and we believe that our peptide is going to be part of the solution to it. That's what keeps us going every day. That and many other crop diseases that we believe our, our peptide therapeutic can also address. That's amazing. And thank you for sharing that. Because again, like I said, I don't think a lot of people know that that this is an actual concern and issue. I guess in terms of startups you've worked with, because obviously through HD3, you've seen a lot of things happening in New Mexico. Have there been any others that have had a significant impact or resulted in any, any noteworthy exits that you'd want to talk about? We've had a few singles and doubles is what I call them. Still, our big Grand Slam exits are on the horizon. 
But we've had exits that are medical devices that have been licensed away, that type of exit. We have had some industrial product applications, such as improvements to paving roads and the asphalt that goes into making roads. We've had some exits in that space. We've had exits in the consumer categories of CBD, as well as exits in spirits. But the big, big ones that are on the horizon have to do with biotechnology again, vaccine development and production of novel ways of producing pharmaceuticals and vaccines, as well as energy, oil and gas markets. We have quite a lot of innovation on that front as well. And, you know, in New Mexico, because a lot of the the technology is very long term. It takes many, many years to develop the technology. These are deeply disruptive technologies that disrupt whole industries, giant industries from oil and gas to pharmaceuticals to biotech industries that don't just turn on a dime, if you will. Our technology tends to take a very long time. And so therefore, by nature, our exits take a very long time. We don't develop many overnight apps in New Mexico that can be, you know, exited in um, six months or so. Sometimes I really wish we did. But yeah. unfortunately, ours are very take the long view. And that's a good way to parlay into the project that you're a part of that should be coming into effect just sometime this year. But the Arch Financing Collaborative, where you're helping to to kind of bridge the gap between funding because it there's such long periods between a viable product or something to sell versus like inception. So can you just talk a bit about that project? Right. And so New Mexico's ecosystem has decent financing for good deals. I always say that if you have a good deal, you can find funding, whether that is in New Mexico or elsewhere. And that holds true, barring you know the ups and downs of the economy and financing at any given time. But what we have noticed over the years is that our early stage investors, which tend to be angel groups or individual high net worth angels, some family offices, friends and family are on the far left end of the spectrum of a startup formation. And then as they proceed towards commercialization in this very long time span of trying to get a product to market, which can take up to a decade, in many cases, the angels, of course, tap out. They can only put in so much and they aren't to revenue at all. They aren't even yet to product yet in many cases. And if they can't acquire grants or other non-dilutive forms of funding or strategic partners, then a lot of times the venture firms will fill that gap. And I'm not anti-venture, but I do think there's a time and a place for it. And because New Mexico's long development timeline tends to be so long, in many cases, it's our opinion that venture comes in prematurely into that gap. And if you're still some years away from a product and venture comes in with the way venture does things and their deal structure, founders easily get very, very diluted very, very early on. And they still have a long time to go before they can get to product and to revenues and to market. So 
what we've devised is or what we're working on, it's called the Arches Financing Collaborative. And it is part of HD3. And we're working with social impact partners, big foundations, big family offices, noteworthy institutions that have a social impact mission to bring forward mission-oriented money that can act as a guarantor to a bridge loan to those firms that they're on their way. They just need more time. But yet they're not close enough yet to really justify venture coming in so early. So it's an intriguing model. We're working on it. We've been having conversations with prominent social impact partners who will come in and act as the guarantor to the money, which are lending groups, and try to see if we can't find a more clever, creative way to finance these very important young companies that should keep their equity intact for the founders because it's good for the company to do that for as long as possible. And that's the niche we're trying to fill. That's amazing. I feel like, again, you were trying to, your whole purpose of doing HD3, right, was to try to help New Mexico and the access to, it sounds like, very successful startups just needing a little more time. So in terms of social innovation and like large-scale system developments, how do you approach, you know, driving change? Because you have been, it sounds like, on the forefront of this for for quite some time. When I did start HD3, I knew it would be a long road, and I never expected to get to the end, and here is all the success we were all hoping for. But social change is very hard, and especially in a in a place that is extremely poor in resources, in a certain kind of resources. And we have a lot of deficits that all impede what you might call wealth creation that could help lift all boats and instigate stronger community development, stronger economic development for everybody here. We have these amazing assets that we are getting better at forming into wealth creating assets that can become engines of prosperity for everyone in a community. And so that is happening. It isn't happening that fast. But I do think in the past five years, you keep hearing this idea of impact investing. When I first heard about it, I didn't really know what it was. I mean, other than what you think it is. But as I began to research it, it made a lot of sense for what HD3 is about, which really is trying to bring about change in New Mexico economically. And it seemed like there is a better way to marry that mission that many organizations have, and even for-profit or other vehicles such as family offices that are trying to marry earning profit as well as creating positive change in their communities or in the industry where they created their wealth or whatever it might be. So we're trying to navigate into that world a bit more and find out where the nexus is between straight-up startup wealth creation and the social impact of whatever it is that that startup is trying to solve the problem for, right? Let's just Mm -hmm. keep with the citrus thing. The citrus effort, you could call that a problem, right? That needs a solution. We all want that to continue on. And so we're working to see what social impact partners might help this particular company keep going so that that 
problem can be solved so that we don't run out of money and just throw up our hands and be done with it. If we can bring forward social impact partners that are aligned with that mission and to that solving that particular problem, then that is the idea behind the Arches Financing Collaborative. Bring forth relevant social impact partners that also care about <laughs> keeping orange juice available for our children and our grandchildren and really <laughs> keeping that company alive so that we can solve that problem. That kind of thinking can be applied to cancer and Alzheimer's and the climate and many other social problems, we believe, that can be married up with a wealth-creating asset as well as a social impact asset base. That's an interesting final thought on that because you know, you have to try to mirror the social impact versus the business success of it, right? And and how do you do that? How do you mirror the two? So a couple more questions. So how do you mentor and support young teams, right? First entrepreneurs that are just starting out, like what advice do you typically give them on their journey? Well, we like to find them first. And back in, <laughs> 20, back in 2010, when we started HD3, Shark Tank wasn't even on or it was just happening about that time. I like to claim, of course, that we were first at it, <laughs> but we called ours Discovery Day. And we probably held 70 or 80 Discovery Days over the past decade. And that's where we would invite innovators and entrepreneurs and scientists and engineers who have something to come and present to our network of advisors and investors and mentors and experts to see what they have and to see if there was something there that HD3 could wrap around. Like I said, we now have some 1,500 folks that are called an HD3 advisor. They're all over the place, all over the U.S., as well as in Europe and South America and Israel and Asia. They've been involved in some way. They've been brought to our attention through some other person. It's classic networking. And they've gotten involved with something or they have a particular subject matter expertise that they can bring to something to help us commercialize that discovery. So, you know, we would bring them in and hear their idea and give them our advice. And if it's something that we really do believe we can help them with and raise capital around and help them fill out their team and their management, get them on the track to becoming not just a startup, but a successful startup, then that's what we do. So when we started, as I said, we were in New Mexico only. We are now scaling past New Mexico. So I'm always open and I do get pitched quite a bit on different ideas even today. Right now we're focused on the exits of the first cohort, so we're not formally taking new ideas up the flagpole, but anybody can always reach out to me anytime. And I know a lot of people and can be of help to get that innovator maybe pointed in the right direction and be a sounding board for sure. That's amazing. Thank you for that, because I'm sure a lot of people will take for better for us. I think a lot of people <laughs> take you up on that. So my final question for you is, how do you envision the future of startup and innovation scene in New Mexico? Are there any specific initiatives or developments that you're particularly excited about? Well, I get asked this question quite a bit, 
And I think that it is, as many things in life, both simple and hard. And really, the simple part of it is, is that for all the belly button gazing of how come we can't figure this out? And why is it so slow? And why does it take so long? And, you know, where is our Google in the backyard? That kind of thing. It's hard work to create a viable, let alone profitable, something from scratch, from nothing to something is brutal, to be quite frank. You never really hear much about being in the trenches of how hard it is to create something. But in the real world, where there's many innovators toiling every day, it is very difficult. I am in the trenches, both as a founder, co-founder, and alongside all of our co-founders and founders. But I understand what that's like. People that have never done it don't entirely understand how difficult it is and what the toll is and how very few actually succeed. So I'm hopeful that the simpleness of it is that you just grind it out, you just keep going, and you find a way to survive. And you, if you have something that the market wants and to solve a problem that is truly needed, I believe you will succeed. The hard part is that it's just hard. It isn't that complicated other than accepting that it is hard. And if you have the solution, you'll get there. But you need a lot of help. It's like a village. You do need a lot of help around you to keep going. And that's what HD3 does at the end of the day is bring forward those those helpers, those connectors, those people that can keep it going and keep it alive so that you can bring everything to hopefully what is a solution to the marketplace that values it, pays for it. And it all works out in the end. That's what we hope for. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. That was so insightful. Like I said, I learned a lot about what's happening in New Mexico and also more so about what you're doing with HD3 and how it's having such a humongous impact, both in New New Mexico and it sounds like beyond as well. So thank you again. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And everyone, thank you for joining us. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this production from Foley and Lardner, LLP. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and is intended as a general overview. The podcast does not constitute legal advice nor solicitation to provide legal services. It's not meant to convey a legal position of Foley and Lardner, LLP, on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice. Any opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the firm, its partners, or its clients. And listening to the podcast does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. The listener should not act upon this information without seeking counsel from a licensed attorney. Foley makes no representations or warranties of any kind, expressed or implied, as to the content of the podcast or to its accuracy or completeness, and accepts no responsibility for an individual who acts or refrains from acting based on information obtained from the podcast. In some jurisdictions, the contents of this podcast may be considered attorney advertising. If applicable, please note that prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.